Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will of God, by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestly, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. All right, here we go. We're in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, and we're going to take a look at this passage. And here's the good news that I have for you. The good news is that every believer can be part of God's kingdom work. The good news this morning is that every single believer can be part of God's kingdom work. One of the great ways in which this is illustrated, the classic story is of Jesus at the temple offering box. It seems as though there was a practice of kind of making the offering a spectator sport. I don't understand all that that is. I guess they didn't, you know, have NFL football or something. I, I don't know. But they, they sat by the offering box and watched to see who was giving how much. And because people were kind of watching, there was a process in which people had learned how to, how to drop those coins with some real jingle and they, they, they would know kind of how to flick their wrist to make sure that it kind of echoed on every single one of the sides of that box as it came in and, it made, and they made the decision, you know, I don't know whether you have to get there early or get there late because you want to make sure that yours really, really rattles. And people are watching, maybe they're guessing to see, I wonder how much money this person's giving, I wonder how much money this person's giving. And so this whole thing is watching Mr. Moneybags or Mrs. Moneybags come through and watching to see them give. And they're just making these kinds of observations. And then in the midst of all of these big wigs trying to draw attention with their big giving, in comes a widow. And it tells us that she drops in two coins that are barely able to be called coins. They're called mites. They're, they're tiny. They're that kind of small. You almost get the impression that when she dropped them into the box, that they almost kind of floated to the bottom like feathers. There was nothing to it. And again, I can't tell you what everybody's reaction was. I can't tell you what all the disciples' reaction was. But I can tell you that when Jesus saw this woman's gift of these two coins that barely even get a name, that just kind of floated down into the box, she said, God said, she gave more than all the rest. You see, it's not really the amount that matters. It is something that runs far deeper. And what Jesus wanted us to know is that every single believer can be part of God's kingdom work no matter the size or the amount of their ability to give. God says this is a participatory event for everyone to be part of who's a follower and a believer in Christ. Now, we're going to talk about giving this morning. I don't know what that does inside of you. Here's a little bit of what it does inside of me. 
It causes me to be a little bit cautious as we move forward. Because there's a couple of things that, that I don't want to be misunderstood and, and I don't want to get wrong as we move forward in this message. But one of the things is I don't ever want it to seem like this church or any church that I lead or pastor is one of those churches that's obsessed with money. Now, I'm going to tell you that I don't believe most churches are obsessed with money, but every once in a while a church will get a reputation, a TV preacher will get the impression, give the impression that all that person is concerned about is money. And boy, it would grieve me so deeply if someone was part of this church, visited this church, belonged to this church, drove by this church, and somehow got the impression that all that church cares about is money. That that would grieve me deeply. And so as we come to this passage of Scripture, as we come to this sermon this morning, I, I walk very, very carefully because I don't want it to seem like we're a church that's only concerned about money. And at an even deeper level, I would hate for someone to come here because they were spiritually hungry, they were reaching out to God, they, they really needed to have an encounter with Jesus, they were looking for hope, and then they showed up and all the preacher did is talked about his money. And in fact, people tell the story, well, I, I would have gone to that church, I would have responded, but when I went to church, all they were doing was talking about money. And so there's a part of me that says, man, I, I don't want to give the impression that our church is obsessed with money and that we're only interested in money. There's a part of me that says if there is a risk that somebody might walk away from Jesus because it seemed like all we were doing was talking about money, is there's a part of me that says, you know what, this isn't worth it. I'm setting this aside. We won't deal with this in a public setting like this because I don't ever want people to think, boy, that church, all they're interested in is money. But if I were to do that, as tempting as it may be to set it aside, there are consequences to setting it aside that I'm not willing to that I'm not willing to take on. You see, if we set it aside, then what we're doing is that I'm choosing to be silent where God has spoken clearly. And, and friends, I, I'm not walking that walk. Uh, when God says something out loud, I can't just say, well, you know what? That doesn't really fit into my worldview. That doesn't fit into my comfort zone. That doesn't fit into my experience. I'd really prefer to cover something out. I can't go through the Word of God and just kind of with a little razor blade and exacto knife just cut out the sections that are inconvenient for me or that I think might not bless people in the same way or feel blessed in the same way as everything else. I can't do that. I can't do that on this topic, and I certainly can't do it on any other topics as well. And so I can't be silent on this because I, I, I can't be silent where God has spoken clearly. In the passage that we just read, God speaks clearly about giving, and so we've got to say out loud what God has said out loud. I would also tell you that if we were to be silent on this topic, it would rob you, it would rob our people, it would rob our church, it would rob me of a point of critical spiritual growth. Now, we're not going to unpack this as much as I would like to this morning, but here's the reality. Your spiritually growing in terms of the financial part of your life is a huge point of spiritual growth. Not necessarily because God says that I'll multiply and I'll make you rich and I'll give you prosperity and all of those things. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's something about our finances that's a real faith step. 
I mean, we know where the pennies are. We know where the dollars are. We know where all of those things are. And so when we rearrange our financial life, you know what that takes? It takes a step of faith. Do you know when we grow the most and the fastest in our spiritual lives? I'll spot you this one. It's when we take a step of faith. And so if we take the finances, which is a major place for spiritual faith, off the table, I would be robbing you of an opportunity for significant spiritual growth inside of your life. If I were to take this off the table, I would also rob you, I would also rob you of great joy. There is joy that comes with linking my finances to my faith. There is joy by being a person who is an excited, generous giver. And if we were to take this off the table, you would miss out on this experience that has brought great joy to millions through the generations. And from a real practical standpoint, if we took this off the table, we would be hiding the reality about church life. Do you know how a godly biblical church is funded? It's through the giving of the believers who make up that church. There, there isn't a plan B. It's not bake sales. We don't have investments. We're not supported by a state government. The only way that God grows the resources of this church is through the financial participation of the members of this church. In two weeks' time, we're going to present the 2021 budget. The 2021 budget is based on the giving of the people who make up Woodland Park Baptist Church. And so there isn't a plan B. And so we just kind of have to say that out loud every once in a while so you just know that's how this works. Sometimes you just kind of think, well, I don't know how all this happens. Well, it happens. Everything that you see, everything that you've touched, everything that you've experienced this morning happens because of the financial participation of the people who make up this church. So for those reasons, we, we can't set this aside and just skip it. Now, what I love about the Word of God is that it's rooted in reality. It's rooted in real circumstances. You may be thinking this morning, Pastor, this is a really tough time for you to be talking about giving. Do, do you watch the news, Pastor? Well, not as much as you do, maybe. But, but do you watch the news? Do you, do you, are you aware of all that's unfolding out there? Do you aware that, that we've got these concerns and these worries that are coming? This is really not a good time to be talking about giving. Well, I will tell you that what I love about the Word of God is that it's so rooted in reality because what I want you to notice is that in this passage of Scripture that talks about giving, what it talks about the fact that they were in a severe test of affliction. That's the backdrop of this whole giving passage is that it comes from a severe test of affliction. I would also tell you that there is something about the nature of the early church that left them financially vulnerable. For one part, a large part of the first wave of new believers came from the lower classes of society. They came from the servant and slave classes of society. They already started out broke. They, they already started out difficult times. They, they were not reaching from the top. There were some folks. There were some people with some wealth. There were some people with some resources. And, and the scripture talks about those kinds of folks. But there was something about the initial things. When it talks about the lists of the people who are parts of the churches, they are often from the slave classes. So they started out tough. 
Some of the people who were professionals in the life of that church were part of trade guilds. They were part of organizations. They did their work through the guild. You couldn't do your wares, your business, if you weren't part of the guild. The problem is that those guilds were often tied to a pagan god. And in fact, their gatherings, their celebrations, their union meetings, whatever, whatever you want to call them, were often tied to these pagan celebrations. And the early Christians had to begin to say, Man, this isn't for me. I'm a metal worker. I'm, I'm, a, I'm whatever this profession is, but, but I can't hang out here in this place because it is so deeply tied to some pagan god, and I just cannot be part of the sacrificing to these pagan gods. And when they stepped back from those trade guilds because of those pagan practices, they were cut off financially from their life's work. Not only that, there would have been some economic persecution. Sometimes at this phase of church history, a little bit later than this in church history, but there would come times when the Caesar would say, listen, here's what I'm asking for. All I'm asking for is that you recognize that I'm God. Okay? Pretty simple request from the emperor. And he says, listen, all I'm asking for is for you to take a pinch of salt and on an annual basis pay a little bit of, a, of an offering and take the pinch of salt and say, Caesar is Lord. That's all I'm asking for. I mean, it's the only reasonable thing you can do for your Caesar, right? To recognize that he's God. So just go, pinch the salt, put it over the, the altar, and just announce to everyone, Caesar is Lord. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's only one Lord. And that's Jesus. And the last thing that you can do is walk up and say, somebody else is Lord. And when they refuse to say that Caesar is Lord, they would lose their license for economic participation. And so when this talks about generosity against the backdrop of severe affliction, it is because it was not easy times in their life financially. But I want you to see what this passage says. What this passage says here in verse, what this passage says here in verse two, it says, for in severe affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity in their part. See the formula here. It is joy plus poverty equals generosity. You ready for that? Joy plus poverty equals generosity. You didn't know that that was the formula, but there it is. Joy plus poverty equals generosity. But I want you to notice how intense each one of these words are. It is the abundance of joy plus extreme poverty overflows into a wealth of generosity. That's the plan. That's the process. That's what God is doing amongst those folks. And in fact, as he describes the giving of this church to the church in Corinth, as he describes the giving of the church in Macedonia, and in this passage, what I, what I want to notice this morning is I want you to see that there's about six words that I think really jump off the page to me in terms of understanding what it means to be a church that experiences joy in the midst of poverty that results in extreme generosity. Here it is. Are you ready? Well, I'm going to keep going anyways. Uh, are you ready? Here we go. The first thing is, in terms of these words of giving, is I want you to notice that it's personal. 
I want you to notice as we look at this passage of Scripture, it says that they gave according to their means. There wasn't a cookie-cutter experience. There wasn't a cookie-cutter expectation for every single person. It was a personal experience. In fact, I think it's probably uh, likely, I think it's really important to notice that there were probably no two people in that church that gave the same amount. In fact, they probably weren't supposed to give the same amount. You see, each person in that church, in terms of their giving, had a different story. And so because they had a different story, they had a different process of giving. Now, I do want you to notice that part of what this means is, according to their means, is that it's not only personal but it is connected to their means. Hey, in fact, what I think is important here is that their giving was, not only did they have a different story, but their giving was connected to their story. Now, we call that today proportional giving. That is, that my giving is related to my income and, the res and my giving is related to my resources. The more that I have, the more that I can give. Whatever it is amount that I have, I give of what I have. Sometimes when your proportional giving reaches 10%, we call that tithing. You hear that word in church every once in a while. That is 10% proportional giving. It is connected to your income. It's interesting about 10%, and this isn't a sermon to really is to unpack that, but I've had people tell me, oh, I can't tithe because I don't make enough money. I've had people tell me, I can't tithe because I make too much money. I will tell you that there's something that's right about that number of 10% that says it is doable for everyone, but it is felt by everyone as well. You cannot tithe without it impacting the rest of your financial life. It's just the way it is. You, none of us have enough that if we take 10% off the table, that it doesn't rearrange the whole rest of our financial life. In fact, I think that's part of what God intends that tithe to do, is it says because of our faith, because we tie together our financial story and our faith story, it does rearrange the rest of our life. But this is an important principle, is that it is personal. Every person gives based on their own story, which means based on their own means. There is no cookie-cutter expectation for giving. Second word that I want you to see in this passage is I want you to see the word stretch. I want you to see the word stretch. The, the first thing that we see here in this passage says they gave according to their means. That means that they determined what they could afford. They did the math. They added up their income. They added up their expenses. They added up their obligations. They added up orthodontist things. They added up this. They added up all of those things. And they said this is the amount that we can give. And then they gave more. Hey, they determined, this is the amount that I should give. This is the amount that I can give. This is the amount that I can afford to give. And then it says that they gave beyond their means. They added it up. We can go all the way to here. Beyond here, we can't do. And you know what they ended up doing? They did the beyond. Now, Are you supposed to give beyond? Are you supposed to do the math and determine this is what I can afford and then go beyond that? Well, here's what I would tell you. You're already doing it. You're doing it quite likely 
on vacation, the grocery store, the restaurant, travel ball expenses, dance expenses, weddings, Christmas, every single year. You say, for Christmas, this is the amount that we're spending. Okay, I don't really want to see the hands, but how many of you have ever come under budget for Christmas? How many of you have come under budget for vacation? I'm not allowed to go to the grocery store with Susan. She says, when I go, it's a 25% tax when I go. Because I just walk down, oh, did you see these? Oh, we should try these. These look really good, and I, I'm just throwing stuff in. She's got a list that says, here's what we can do. I'm like, but let's go beyond. Let's go beyond what we can do. Here's the reality. We add it up. We do the math. We say, here's how far I can go. And we go over that all of the time. And what I wanted to say is what happens is we go over that when our hearts get engaged. And it's not unreasonable that every once in a while that we wouldn't get carried away with giving. In the same way, we get carried away in all these other parts of our life as well. In fact, it would be not healthy if we lived our life in a way that splurged here and splurged here and splurged here and said, we'll figure it out later here and figure it out here in every part of our life except our financial participation of our faith. If that's the only place where, you know, things happen, but when it comes to our financial participation in our faith, that we draw a line, oh, I can't go over that. I've got my limits, I can't do that. The people of God in this passage of scripture, they gave according to their means, and then every once in a while, they went beyond their means because their hearts got engaged and they couldn't help themselves because they believed in what they were doing. Now, I also would tell you that another word here is the word choice. Because the passage of scripture, scripture says that they gave according to their means and beyond it by their own accord. Again, there was no pressure. There was no push. There was no obligations. There was no rules. There was no checking of anybody's bank account. I want you to know that we are committed to this church never being a place that puts pressure on you financially. And we, we might try to talk to you about how important it is to follow Jesus and put some pressure there. And we'll, but we're not going to pressure you about what you do with your finances. We're not going to check what you give. I, I don't know who gives what. We don't know what you give. We're never going to ask you to tell us how much money you make. We're not going to ask you how to, what you're spending on other stuff. You will be invited to be part of the work of the church. And we will teach God's word in terms of giving and stewardship but it will always be your choice and this will never be a place that puts pressure on you we'll let you know what's happening we'll invite you to participate and we're going to teach the word of god but it will always belong to you and it will always be your choice now i think there's one exception to that like, what kind of exception is that? Here's the one exception to that. 
if you help us spend church money, then we expect you to be following God's plan in terms of giving God's money. So, if you're a pastor, if you're staff, if you're finance team, if you're one of our main leadership committees in the life of our church, we're asking that you are a person who's participating in the life of the church. That's only healthy. It's not so much that you've got to give money to get onto one of these positions, but what it says is that the way this church functions, the way that every healthy church functions, is it's based on the people of God giving to the work of God. Now, there are some leaders who get to determine what those priorities and get those things moved around, but we can't as pastor or staff or any other leadership in the line for the church sit back and say, well, we need more money from the church and just expect other people to give it. I will tell you that I tithe. Susan and I have been tithing from uh, before we were married. We, we have always done that. We are committed to doing that, and we will continue to do that. I, I will tell you that every person that I've hired for staff Part of that interview process is I need to know that you tithe and I expect you to tithe. You can't ask the church and lead to do, the church to do something that you're not doing. And so we're committed to doing that. And I would tell you that as our church grows its leadership base, we do have an expectation that if you're going to help spend the money, determine how the church money is spent, then you better be part of this process because it's only right and healthy for us to do. But even then, we're not pulling your given records. We're just going to say out loud in the middle of church, if you're going to be part of that process, we are expecting that you are participating in that. Just like here, if everybody in the church gave like you did, would our church be healthier or weaker? That's the kind of questions that we want to ask. But you got to answer that. Does that make sense? I'm probably not going to make it any better, so we're going to have to settle for the way it was. Um, (laughs) The next word that I want to take a look at is the word privilege. Oh, this is great. You ready for this? It says that they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. (laughs) You ever been in a church service where they didn't take an offering? And somebody in the back of the room says, we can't leave. We didn't take an offering yet. I want to give. Wait, we don't get to give an offering today? That They were considering it to be such a privilege. We have to be able to do that. In fact, this is such the reverse of what we normally see. You see a congregation. you, You see a body of people. You see a guy on the front, and there's an offering, and there's begging involved. But usually... It's the guy on the platform begging the congregation, please give, would you please give? We got these bills coming, we gotta do this. Would you please give, we really need your gifts. Would you please give, would you please, please give? And the begging comes this direction. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is the begging is coming from the congregation to the platform, the congregation to the leadership saying, listen, we heard that there's an offering. How come we can't be part of that? You're, you're, you're taking this offering to the saints that are in Jerusalem and in the midst of their famine, in the midst of their financial hardships. Wait, you're not going to let us be part of that? Please, please, please let us give. Man, what a dramatic experience when we can come to the place of spiritual maturity when our giving is not a got to, but a get to. We get to give. We get to participate in this kind of thing. It is a privilege And I pray that all of our hearts would grow in that direction. 
The next word that I would tell you that is in this passage of scripture is the word purposeful. Uh, the word purposeful. You see, there was a reason behind this offering, and it was for the relief and the care of the saints. There was a project that they wanted to be a part of, and so they participated in that. I want you to know that when you give, you are giving to mission, you are giving to purpose, you are giving to kingdom work here in this place. Woodland Park Baptist Church is a missions entity. It is our task to reach people for Jesus and grow people up in Jesus. It is our task to reach people who are far away from Jesus and build them up into Jesus. It is our task to take young people and build them into strong foundations for their faith. It is our task to send out from here people to all different parts of the world who know and are rooted and founded inside of their faith. It is our job to encourage, bless, build up, care for, build, rescue, love, send out, heal, encourage, reach, grow people. And so when you give, you're giving to a purpose and to a work that matters. And you get to be part of that through your giving. The last word that I would give you out of our words this morning is vertical. Vertical. It's fascinating here because one of the things it says is, listen, they weren't giving to us, the Apostle Paul says, they were giving to God. They weren't giving to us, they were giving to God. They gave because it was their joyful response to God. In fact, take a look at verse 9 of chapter 8. It's just outside of our main text, but it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he for your sake became poor, so that you might by his poverty might become rich. You see, we give because it is just the natural, joyful response to what God has done inside of our lives. And so, the offering boxes are here in our foyer. The online giving is on our church's website. And I don't want to misstate this, but I want you to know that when you are giving, you are giving as a spiritual act of worship to God through this church. Now that puts pressure on our church to make sure that we use those resources well. Because that's divine money. That, that, that's, that's sacred money now. But when we give... It's not about building up Woodland Park Baptist Church. It's not even building up the ministries of this church. It is a spiritual response to God. So what's the now what this morning? Well, let me just mention a couple of things. There's a little bit of difficulty in the now what because... When we talk about finances, by its nature, it's the most measurable topic we can talk about. I mean, we, the, the, you know, money comes in bills so that you can count them. I mean, you, you know how much, you got an app on your phone that tells you how much it is. So sometimes when we say a now what, I can say here are the things that you got to do, but there's really no real way to measure whether you did it or not. There's a little bit of pressure when we talk about the now what, because the finances are so practical. But let me just try to talk just for a moment here about some now what. 
It's possible that you feel a sense of resistance this morning because you're like, man, I, I didn't come to church for this. I've got enough financial pressures of my own. I'm dealing with enough stuff already. I, I don't need anyone else in this process. But I'm going to just carefully say that there is a possibility that the very thing that you're working the hardest to protect and say, I'm going to do this my way, may not be working. It may be this place where, like, I'm taking care of this. And while you have been so super careful with this and so super concerned about this, it's not really working. And again, I'm not telling you that if you'll do these three things, that you're going to experience immense prosperity. But I'm going to tell you that as you're obedient to him, God blesses your life and cares for your life. I'm just going to tell you that Susan and I have been doing this our entire lives. And there have been some close calls. There have been some worry, I would say worrisome moments, but it's probably more worrisome months. But I'm going to tell you, he's taking care of every single piece of that. And it may be the thing that you're protecting the most, maybe the thing that you need to release. And give that over to him and see how he wants you to deal with that. From a practical standpoint, what I want to encourage you to do is I kind of want to encourage you in a couple of different places. Just think about where you are in your financial participation in your faith. I would say that there's a couple of different things that there's a whole spectrum of financial participation. There are folks who, who are believers, but they never give. Again, I don't know who you are. I just know that happens. It doesn't just happen in this church, but it happens in that church and that church and that church all the churches. So the spectrum goes to some folks who, who just, they never give. And then there, there are some folks that, that just give above and beyond and they just constantly stretch themselves with their giving. Here's my challenge, my invitation to you today. Wherever you are, in your financial participation of your faith. Would you just take one step forward? Just take one faith step forward? So here's the thing. If for whatever reason it's been a crazy year, you've just never done it, maybe you haven't given in 2020. It's possible. Maybe, maybe the faith step that you need to take is to just make giving part of your financial participation in worship. And maybe you need to give. It doesn't matter what the amount is, but just the very fact that you have now included your finances into your worship experience. Maybe that's the step that you're supposed to take. Maybe you give every once in a while when you think of it, or there's a little bit extra, or you got a big prayer request coming up and you think that maybe if you slide, got a little bit of a tip, you know, things might work out better. But, but, but maybe you do that on occasion. But maybe the step that you need to take is to move your financial participation to just being regular. It's part of your routine. 
So whether that means every week, whether that means every month, whether that means every paycheck, that just becomes a regular part of what you do. Maybe the financial, maybe the step, the faith step that you need to take is that you need to start looking at making your giving proportional to what you have and what you receive. Some folks jump right into tithing and they just say, you know what, this is where I need to get to starting this week, this is what we're doing. And God has honored that and blessed that. I've also known folks to say, you know what, there is no way I can do that, but I'm going to start. And I'm going to start $50 this month. And then next month I'm going to add another 100, another 50 bucks. And just piece by piece, suddenly they found out, wow, I can do this. And they gradually grew into that place. Listen, that's between you and God. But I would encourage you, maybe the step that you're supposed to take is to move toward that tithing as a goal. And then maybe, maybe the step that you're supposed to take today is you're supposed to give like you're on vacation. <laughs> Surprise yourself. Just, well, I didn't expect to write that check. Hear me, we're not consumed with the money, but I think that this is the application of the text. So I don't know what it is. You figure it out. You and God have a conversation about this. But I'm going to tell you that they gave of their own accord, according to their means, beyond their means. They begged to do it because of purpose. And they didn't give to a church or to a pastor. They gave to God. And if you will do that, God will honor that in your life. I guarantee it. 